Hello and a very warm welcome to a new episode of Women Build, brought to you by World Architecture News from Alison and Nav. This year we have seen an immense focus on global health. Just what does the pandemic mean for the designers of future healthcare facilities? We put that question and others to Brenda Smith, healthcare practice leader for Perkins and Wills New York studio. Brenda is responsible for connecting the work of the firm's seven research labs to the daily design and planning work of the health practice. So in this podcast, we discovered why hospitals might need safe harbours and ramps and the importance of going back to see if the design works for all involved. Brenda, thanks for your time today. You came to architecture in perhaps a less formal way than many, starting your working life as an oncology nurse. I would imagine that experience feeds really well into your understanding of how buildings need to be responsive to patients and staff. So I actually came to healthcare design somewhat accidentally. While working as a nurse, I was seeking what was the thing that would feed my creative interest, and I went back to school for um, design. And after that, I I began working in the commercial market. Um, But with a turn of events, I took a job with a pediatric institution that was looking for someone to manage the design process and their architectural and design consultants on a large expansion project for the pediatric hospital. And what I found was that I spoke the language of the clinical staff and served as somewhat of a navigator or a um, a translator for them uh, between the architectural design team and those clinical staff. I understood the flow of what needed to happen, what the considerations were operationally, and when they were asked for specifics, I could help guide them through, you know, what was their normal process and what did that mean in terms of what requirements they had for the spaces. So it was a very happy accident, actually, and I've never left. (laughs) What have you learned from taking your knowledge of healthcare into the architectural field? I would say in our firm, we have a number of individuals who um, have come from the nursing field, some from, uh, and from different aspects, some from the emergency room and as directors of units, others from the executive side. So we look at the problem of how you operate those facilities very holistically. And the thing that I would say I, I still continue to see and that's still very much overlaid into my work is I think about the function of spaces first. And I found that consistently our teams approach the design of those spaces from the the requirements, the functional requirements, but they don't necessarily put themselves in the shoes of the nurse um, and and understand what simple things they need, space to lay down supplies or medications that they're bringing in, you know, what, what's the easiest sort of reach for them as they're caring for a patient in the bedside? Little things like that are essential in each kind of space that we design for care. How do you think COVID has changed or will change healthcare design? One thing that we know for sure is that we all have a much greater level of understanding of the demands put on clinical staff to care for patients. 
and what that means in terms of the kinds of environments they work in, as well as the kind of support they need. So while we have been seeing that integrated into our projects uh, for a number of years, I think that it won't be something in the future that we need to persuade our clients uh, to include in their overall schedule of accommodations or program of a space, it will be something that's a given. And thinking about those workflows that support that kind of effort will be a part of what um, is, is very much at play. You know, the healthcare environment is about healing patients, but it's also somebody's workspace. Uh, so thinking about those things will be important. I think the other thing that we'll see for sure, and we're starting to see it all ready, is that COVID instantly broke down barriers for information sharing. So we saw that, you know, in in initially in terms of telehealth and providing patient care for non-COVID related um, health events through digital technology, that that may shift a little bit and be defined a little bit differently on the other side of the pandemic, but I don't think it's going away at all. The other thing that happened during that period uh, with technology was uh, patient monitoring for uh, patients at home um, who had health conditions or chronic conditions that needed that kind of um, constant um, monitoring and gathering of health data, and that has been done electronically, and I think we'll see that continue to be in place and grow. I think the other thing we're seeing is a real interest in the new spaces that we're being asked by clients to look at um, around flexibility and resiliency. So the ability for, um, for the spaces to shift over time. So even as we're, we're just beginning new projects, where they're looking at how can we shift all of our rooms from rooms where multiple patients um, were cared for to one patient at a time, but have the flexibility to accommodate more patients if there is a health event that warrants it. Yeah, I think I think flexibility will be key to feed into needs as they change and change quite rapidly in some circumstances. Do you think some of the current healthcare buildings are going to be a struggle to retrofit? Well, we are seeing some of this. I mean, the first thing that we've we've noticed is that many of our clients are looking at um, review of their infrastructure, and we have a number of new projects that are starting where the first three to four months is dedicated to an engineering team developing a master plan for the infrastructure. So they're looking at ventilation and you know, creating flexibility to go from status quo to a, um, a condition for, an iso- for isolation, either to protect the patient or to protect the rest of the occupants of the hospital, which was the case in COVID. We were pulling air out of the building to keep um, the highly infectious um, nature of the disease from spreading. Thank you, Brenda. We also wanted to discuss with you today the Medical University of South Carolina, specifically the Children's Hospital that Perkins and Will have worked on, which intends to set a new precedent for inclusive healthcare design and aspires to be one of the country's most autism-friendly hospitals. Could you start by telling us some of the key design aspects to consider when designing for neurodiversity? Well, first I want to just um, 
frame neurodiversity. So what that really is about is it's a phrase that was coined by a, 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 um, a sociologist in the late 90s, and it looks at the variations of the brain regarding learning, attention, social ability, uh, and other mental functions. And it's focused on autism primarily, but it can be things as simple as attention deficit disorder or dyslexia or a lot of other ways in which we, we um, take in and process information and relate to the world. Um, the thinking with around this or the attitude around the phrase of neurodiversity is that rather than these being disorders that need to be fixed or cured, the idea is to embrace people with how they process the world and offer help and accommodation instead. So designing a space for neurodiverse um, environments is really about how does that space help support, accommodate a variety of people who process the world and, and the sensory environment in different ways. So at uh, MUSC, um, we were hearing stories about things like children who were arriving at the care facility so um, overwhelmed by what they were taking in that physicians were coming out to the parking lot and seeing those patients and treating those patients from their cars. So in order to avoid that and create a much more um, supportive environment, we looked at sort of what the key sensors are. And, there, you know, these are things that, that um, people process differently, so we're not going to check the box on everything. But the things that we focused on were the things that were brought to our attention by the medical staff and by the individuals who work in child life. So the things that we learned from them were looking at things like sound is was huge. So we we designed very carefully to make sure that we were accommodating acoustics in the areas of care, even things to going into the restrooms and looking at the um, the issues surrounding um, hand drying machines, you know, that blow a lot of air and have motors that make a lot of noise, the sound of the toilet flushing, things like that, and trying to make choices where we could reduce that overall acoustical assault and, um, and create a more comfortable environment. And then lastly, we created some quiet focus spaces for children who were just simply overwhelmed and needed a place to sort of reset. And those spaces are um, sort of wonderful quiet cocoons that a family can, can go to and use the, the devices and tools that they have in dealing with their, their own child to kind of get things reset to a place where a child can um, navigate through the facility more comfortably. So I imagine one of the challenges was, as you said, that there's no way to design perfectly to fit everyone because everyone will react differently. So what were some of the other challenges that you faced when designing this hospital? Well, you know, I think there's always a sort of a hub of activity around nurse stations, uh, which can make a lot of noise, actually. It's a very social engaging place. It's a place where teams are exchanging um, 
a lot of information. And so that can be a place within a patient unit that can be rather loud. And so things that we did as we looked at um, sound absorbing materials in the ceiling to absorb sound, um, flooring that was quiet underfoot um, and also absorbed sound. Other things that we did were looked, we looked at lighting and the ability to tune or adjust lighting so that we could bring those levels down and control a number of controls for redundancy so that uh, uh, we could finally tune that based on the time of day. Um, and then, you know, there are some areas um, that you need to navigate with just a general population of, of the public coming and going that are a little bit more challenging. So um, the lobby, for instance, is a multi-story space and can be challenging. Uh, in that environment, we ended up putting a, a full wall terrarium um, so that there's a focal point and something that people can focus on who need to make that kind of shift. And do you think that all hospitals should be designing for neurodiversity? And if so, what more can be done? Uh, if we can accommodate individuals who are working full time and working effectively and impactfully in um, in society, it would seem natural that we should be able to do that. It should be low-hanging fruit, actually, in a healthcare environment. Um, so I would say, yes, we are big proponents. And and there are two things that we are really that that we did at uh, the Medical University of South Carolina project that I would say are are going to be central tenets in all of our projects. One is looking at what ways do we do we look specifically at the population being served around their sensory needs and making sure that we're accommodating those differences? And secondly, how are we creating supportive space for staff? Um, and one of the things that was sort of a wonderful outcome at MUSC, it was, it was really just it, we did not go into the project, but this is something that was identified at the beginning. It grew out of conversations and engagement with staff and with families, but we ended up creating dedicated spaces on each patient unit uh, for respite. So they're beautiful. They're not big. They're maybe, you know, I'm thinking 14 square meters, something like that small rooms, but they are an area where there's a little bit of refreshment. So there's a hospitality counter where you can get uh, coffee or a quick snack. There's beautiful views. Uh, so two walls of floor to ceiling glass. Um, some of the glass is colored. So there's a sort of beautiful jewel tone to the space and, and a number of, of kinds of seating, some that is high backed and turn towards the windows kind of shelters you from the rest of the room and others in the room, others that are more for engaging or connecting with, with your colleagues or family members. And we've placed those so that we have staff rooms and we have family rooms for anyone who just needs to step off from the patient unit for a moment and decompress. And then the second thing that happened that just grew out of one of our designers recognizing that we had this roof plane that was visible and not attractive was we installed a roof terrace dedicated to staff that, again, is a, a series of outdoor furniture and a lovely sort of 
swinging bench with views to the beautiful tidal coast that exists um, and is visible from our site. And that has, we've been told, is used every day. So that is a destination. It's, there's only one of them in the building, but staff seek it out every day for lunch, weather permitting, um, as a place to sort of, you know, exhale and reset for the re remainder of their day. So as you said, there's aspects of this project that you're going to take away and put towards and implement in newer projects that you work on with Perkins and Will. What would you say, with your experience as a nurse and a designer, are the five most important things to consider when designing for healthcare? Um, one of the biggest things that I think that we need to do on every project is engage the community we're designing for. Um, and that involves advocates for the patients and their families and working in a very holistic and integrated way with them, as well as a very integrated way with the staff. The things that we learn through workshops that we do with those who will be using the space usually result in, in aspects of the design that are most powerful in the impact uh, of the final result. Um, I think we will continue to see spaces that support this new blended hybrid world we live in. So we know face-to-face -face care is essential and yet having some spaces for that support technology and digital interface uh, will continue. And we may see that in clinical environments that um, care providers are spending a portion of their day caring for, for patients face-to-face -face and a portion of their day doing so um, through a digital platform. And then I think um, flexibility and resiliency are, are two aspects of design that are essential. Flexibility in healthcare allows health systems to accommodate what they need to provide care now and to minimize the expense of shifting to deal with a different situation over time. So we're able to look at the future for maybe a five to 10 year window, and we can guess what the needs will be based on what we know in terms of demographics, but there will always be the unexpected. And creating flexible environments that can adapt over time helps future-proof facilities and helps them provide care with, with less cost. Um, and then resiliency, I want to talk about resiliency from the perspective of two things. Um, building systems that hold up to climate stress and those who also hold up to the stresses that we exist socially and economically. And the key to resilience is systems thinking says it's the ability for a system to adapt to changes or stressors over time. And I think that if we can look at buildings and we're, we're starting to do this, we've been doing this at Perkins and Will for a number of years, but it's something now that clients are, are seeing as essential for defining their projects from the very beginning, is looking at what are the potential impacts that this building could uh, encounter over time, whether it's um, flooding, extreme weather events, a number of other things, 
and how do we build this building so that it can stay, withstand those? And then secondly, if you look at social and economic stressors, which is the pandemic has, has exposed us to in ways, you know, we've been much more vulnerable than I think we ever imagined we could be, then you're set up for those as well. <laughs> and, and that's somewhat about planning. So I will say at MUSC, one of the things that that site, that site is located in an area where obviously they need to withstand hurricanes and have two or three events a year where they're evacuating because of those threats. But it's also an area where as the sea rises, any kind of weather event floods the city. And this site is located in the center of the city where this happens on a regular basis. It's not unusual for, you know, multiple times a year for this, the downtown area to be um, sitting in five feet of water. So um, at this particular site, we designed it with facilities, the key facilities all above ground level. So even the emergency department is on the second level of the hospital and then floodgates come up that protect that lower level uh, of the structure. What, what we discovered was we were patting ourselves on the back when some of these events happened and all of this, you know, all of the surrounding area was flooding and we were seeing that our site was remaining dry. But what, the, but what wasn't considered and has now been put in place was in those early days, they discovered, even though they were able to stay open for patients, they had not thought through fully a plan for how patients would get to them. So how do you get to a site where it's flooded? You need to bring a boat. <laughs> and, so, and so they have since put in place means and methods within their operations to make sure that they're still accessible to patients as they, as they stand as sort of a fortress in the midst of a flooded um, city. America has some of the top healthcare facilities in the world. What would you say to countries that don't have access to those funds and are less developed? Are there any core elements of healthcare design that you would say to architects must be considered? So I, I do think it, it starts with, if you think about resilience, for instance, as a mindset, you have to think about what are all of the stressors on a population and for those who are providing care. That has to be central to the conversation from the very beginning. And one of the things that we do often is a day in the life workshop where we take various individuals uh, care providers at different levels. So it could be a nurse, it could be the, the individual cleaning a room or, or dealing with um, considerations in the facility, a physician, uh, an administrator. And then we also want to do it with patients. So you want to look at various patients or sometimes we look at various um, kinds of, of uh, patients presenting with different healthcare needs. So it could be anything from a routine visit to I've broken my arm to, you know, I have a chronic health condition that's going to keep me in the hospital for weeks and months. And we walk through what their experiences are in the course of a week. Um, that, that provides a lot of information to us about how to design for those conditions. And I think for any architect designing anywhere in the world, that would be an important part of understanding the needs of that 
particular um, care provider and, and the community. Um, and then I think you design to it. We have a project in Ghana where we were told infrastructure is an issue. We may have many times where we don't have electricity, we, but we're on a tight city site where we need multiple stories. How do we move people around? We designed a ramp system into the hospital. It's open air, but it's a way to move patients from one level to the next, pushed in a hospital bed. So I think you can come up with accommodations to address any issue, but you you need to understand who and what you're designing for. And that's where creativity and innovation meets need. With over 25 years of design experience, what do you think has been your greatest achievement so far? You know, I think um, it's there's two things. So I feel like in designing, um, as working in architecture, it's a series of small achievements that have a big impact. And the most meaningful moments for me have been on the on the backside of designing a project. It can be very exciting in the middle of it, and particularly if it's a very complex situation and you're trying to problem solve for a lot of different considerations. But where the meaning happens is once that space is occupied and that you learn through observation and and interfacing with those who utilize the space that it has improved a care pro- provider's ability to deliver care well and that it has elevated the experience for those who inhabit the space as patients or or their families so that if there's a way to create beauty and safety and comfort all within one space, that's that's where the meaning happens. Um, and that for me has really been what's been most rewarding, I guess I would say. I'm interested when you say you go back and see how buildings are performing and how they're working, how valuable is that? Well, I think in some projects with some clients, we've built it in with, you know, particularly with clients that are clients that have us do ongoing work. We've built in a six month and a one year look at spaces just to just to sort of check ourselves and see where we could where ideas could evolve and improve. And, you know, it's it's learning as you go. And did that did that great idea we had and built, (laughs) did it really work? Or do we need to tweak it a little bit for the next project? And then longer term, officially, we have a process called post-occupancy evaluation that wants to look at facilities at one year, three years, five years. And that's to really see, did we, you know, it is about, did we get it right? What things could we improve? What things could we help you do if we need to adjust something? And it lets us know how those spaces are holding up as well, you know, both in terms of their use and their wear um, over time. And also feeds into ongoing innovation. As you say, you can see how things are working out. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts today. Really appreciate it, Brenda. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Thank you so much.
We welcome your feedback on the podcast, so please aim all your comments to waneditorial at haymarket.com. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So follow, download and join us as we look into the world of architecture from a female perspective, wherever you are.